The Master Tavern Keepers History of the Old World. Ahoy there, young neophytes. I trust each of you is hale and healthy. I ask this, for there is the scent of blight in our streets, no doubt as a result of the scaven occupation of the city. Many of us have taken to wearing rags about our mouths and noses when we're out and about, and I'd recommend you do the same. Primo Pardini, purveyor of powerful healing potions and other medicinal paraphernalia, has informed me that a pernicious disease, a variant of Nailish Rot, as first characterized by the Arabian physician Makad in his seventh journal, over there on the bookshelf if you're interested, has cursed some of those on the front lines of the resistance to the Ratman's rule in Lower Trafuro. Maladies include a high fever and the victim's body erupting into firing buboes around the neck, knees, armpits and torso. Additionally, some have suffered horrendous mutations, such as the sufferer's body distending and bloating, their tongue thickening and forming a mouth of its own, tentacles sprouting in places they should not be, and their eyes rotting away to reveal a large, single, cyclopean eye beneath. Suicide is common amongst those afflicted, as you would imagine. Be wary, my young learners. Not everything that can do you harm can be seen with your eyes. Anyway, let us not dwell on this dark news. Rather, let's return to our tale. At last, we have reached the point in our story where Ibn Jalaba, the Arabian explorer, has found himself on the outskirts of the hidden city of Zlatlan, abode of the scions of the Old Ones. The skinks that had initially confronted the expedition were now the ones escorting Ibn and his men towards the temples of Zlatlan. They left the ancient road that the Arabians had been following and instead moved along secret paths that traversed a number of swamps via hidden, overgrown causeways. Along the way they saw ancient, lichen-covered statues of beings that resembled giant toads, and others that appeared to be lizard sphinxes. They also spied, skulking in the shadows, fierce reptilian creatures, controlled by gangs of skinks, laying in wait for any unwary guests. Ibn told my tutor and I of a single Tuareg scout who strayed too far to the column of weary Arabians. One of the beasts spout out a plume of venom that burst into flames almost as soon as he had left the creature's mouth and engulfed the foolhardy Tuareg. 
The creature then leapt upon the still burning body and wolfed it down in a single gulp, its neck frills expanding and quivering as it did so. A warning to others to keep away from its meal, Ibn later found out. The beast skink handlers likewise stabbed their goads into the air in the direction of Ibn and his men, clearly meaning that the humans, too, needed to keep away from the swamps. Everyone else was very careful to keep on the path from that point onwards. Eventually, they reached the main thoroughfare that led into the temple city itself. From Ibn's description of the city, it is both typical and yet unique when compared to other lizardmen cities that I have heard tell of. Such as the stories that one of my current guests, the Cell Sword, Heinrich Lewin, tells about his grandfather, Frederick Lewin, a sailor who accompanied our very own Tylean explorer, Marco Colombo, back in 1492 to the distant continent of Lustria. We shall have to invite the knight down to recount these for you, preferably before he goes off to slay the usurper Marco Broglio, as I can't say if he'll survive that or not. Anyway, suffice to say, each temple city is an ancient metropolis built around their pyramid temples, ziggurats, and shrines, and Zlatlan follows this basic structure. Ibn learned from the skinks that each of the cities are built upon points of convergence in something that he translated from the lizard men's tongue as Dab al-Ramul, or the geomantic web. This is an underlying matrix of lines of natural earth energy that cover the entire world. Each of the temple cities, Zlatlan included, had its location carefully chosen and the layout of the city specifically designed in order to fulfill a different role in this geomantic web, with each city also mirroring a celestial body in the sky above to focus the energies writhing beneath it to that role. Through this, the old ones were able to siphon off vast amounts of power and shackle earth-shattering forces to their will. They could alter the shape of the very rock upon which the land rests. They could command the weather above our heads to strike down their enemies with lightning or destroy them in devastating typhoons. They could even alter the place of the entire world in the heavens. And, by all accounts, they did all of these things. And in time, so did their servants, the Slan Mage Priests. The towering intellects that could construct such edifices and wield such powers makes the achievements of men look like children's sandcastles on the beach. But this is only the tip of the iceberg with regards to the Old Ones and the Slan. There is much, much more to discuss on this topic, but that will be for another time. Ibn told us that, as they approached the outskirts of Zlatlan, the city seemed to be built so as to both overlook, but also enclose, large swathes of the swamps that either bordered or encroached upon the city itself. Many even had protective stone embankments purposefully built around them. 
Later, Eben would learn that these were sacred spawning pools by which the race had first been brought into existence and then its numbers expanded. The pools had existed since the time before the coming of chaos into the world and contained a magic, iridescent, primordial liquid that held within it the secrets to both spontaneous life and unparalleled longevity. Interspersed between these sacred pools were other pools which contained ravenous piranha fish, much like the pool the expedition had encountered back on the ancient road. These formed part of the city's defences and provided a lethal hazard to any would-be invaders. Ibn also learned of, although he was never allowed to visit them, another set of spawning pools that lay deep in the caverns below the city. It was from these dark pools that the cohorts of Saurus that guarded the city came. These were very rare in the armies of the Southlands, insofar as I can tell. Their numbers in Lustrian armies seems much higher by all accounts. The reason for this is not obvious, but it must be by design. Perhaps the role of the Lizardmen of the Southlands is not war and conquest, but rather diplomacy and the forging of alliances with the races of the Old World to the north. Thus, hmm, the greater number of skinks in their armies. I cannot say. This is mere conjecture on my part. Perhaps time will tell. Perhaps not. Ibn also told my tutor and I of an even rarer type of pool that he had come across during his long studies in Zlatlan many years later. These are known as emerald pools and they were exclusively used by the Slan mage priests. These seem to contain the magical components to grant eternal youth, although travel to them was forbidden to all save the Slan, so Ibn never knew any more than this, although, if you recall, Ibn had lived for over 400 years when we found him becalmed on the high seas. He made the conjecture that perhaps it was some of the waters from one of these emerald pools that had been given to him by the skinks that attended to him, after he returned to the city for the second time, so that they could learn more from the human scholar about the wider world. I will tell you more of this tale in due course though, not today. Anyway, back to the spawning pools. Lizard men do not reproduce as we humans do. They do not give birth, nor do they parent young. Rather, entire cohorts, or brothers of the same water, as Ibn termed it, simply emerge, fully grown from the depths of the sacred spawning pools. Spawnings are rare, with many having been prophesied long ago. However, in contrast to what you may imagine, the rarity of spawnings is not a problem for the lizardman population, for all lizard men are extremely long-lived, with many having existed for millennia. Barring disasters, this means that the population does not dwindle. 
However, in order to offset drops in numbers due to a defeat on the field of battle or an epidemic such as occurs with the coming of the Skaven, there are also some spawnings that have occurred spontaneously, potentially in response to these deep population events or even perhaps the intervention of their absentee gods as some crisis looms on the horizon yet to come to fruition. These are always treated as holy portents of great significance. Many of these spawnings were seen with the rise of the Lizardman god Sotek that also coincided with the rise of the empire of my birth in the north. Although, if we compare the two, the realm of Sigmar and Ulrich is now blighted by internecine conflict between the rival empires, whereas the cult of Sotek in both the Southlands and Lustria, goes from strength to strength, according to what Ibn said. The scholars of the Empire claim the twin-tailed comet heralded the coming of the saviour of men, Sigmar Heldenhammer. The red-crested skink priests of the Lizardmen claim it heralded the coming of their god, Sotek the Deliverer. Arguments both for and against, both claims can be made. Which one? The other, both, or neither is true, I cannot say. Anyway, you've caught me going off at a tangent. My apologies, I've just one last thing to say about spawnings. Much as Ibn was fascinated by the spawning pools, so were the skinks, fascinated by the mechanism by which humans spawn, and they kept asking Ibn about it in the weeks that followed the expedition's arrival. They simply could not get their heads around it at all. Even when Ibn and Hakim tried their hardest to demonstrate the process through full body mimes and gestures, it only left the coterie of high-ranking skinks in slack-jawed confusion. After that, they gave up asking. Once the Arabians had moved beyond the outlying spawning pools, they found the city was, in addition to the steppe temples that dominated the skyline, full of a wide variety of smaller buildings, courtyards and workshops, about which skinks were continually flitting, carrying materials, creating items, communicating and, well, just being very busy. The district really made up the majority of the city and circled the central plaza in a wide ring that stretched from the perimeter to the heart of the city. Ibn referred to this area as the Skink Barrios, borrowing the Astalian word, as it reminded him of the port of Magritta on the southern coast of Astalia, a place he'd visited as a young man with his father. The Barrios were abuzz with activity, as what seemed like thousands of Skinks lived and worked there. But almost all of them dropped what they were doing to gawp at the expedition as it entered the city. But, as to what the crowds were thinking, was well beyond the comprehension of Ibn and his eunuchs. The Arabians continued along the central road into the city, as it changed from a broad causeway into something that more resembled a processional thoroughfare. On either side of the road they saw massive sculptures and carved blocks of stone that recorded the myths and stories of the city and its inhabitants in glyphs and pictures. As they reached the central plaza, 
they had to ascend a gigantic broad set of stairs that were flanked by gargantuan obelisks of dark obsidian to reach the largest pyramid temple at the heart of the city. From their elevated vantage point at the base of the temple, they could see other pyramids dotted around the city. But before they got to see anything more, a large cohort of massive Saurus warriors, bedecked in heavy armour and jewellery, and wielding large halberds, began to descend the pyramid. Ibn would later learn that these were temple guard, and their presence indicated that the slan mage priest of the city, Zuazamur, was in this vicinity. The humans were quickly escorted away to a nearby building that resembled some kind of long, disused barracks. Here, the party was told to rest. The men were exhausted and gladly fell onto the woven mats that were strewn about the ground floor of the building, each falling asleep within moments of their heads touching the ground. Further exploration of the city and its inhabitants would have to wait until the next day. And here we shall leave Ibn and the... Oh, it's you, Heinrich Lewin. I had just mentioned to the neophytes here that your grandfather had accompanied the explorer, Marco Colombo, to the land of Lustria. I don't suppose a knight of, um, free ale could persuade you to regale us with the story of his adventures. Yeah, yeah, I am free this evening. I will see you on my return. I have a little business down at the docks right now. Excellent. Right then, young apprentices. After your lesson with Cedric, please make your way back here. I'll go see him then and get some grog. That way we can ply the knight with drink and he can give us the full story on what happened in 1492. That decided, I'll bid you all a hasty adieu until this evening. Don't forget, you are all the seeds of our future. But without the nourishment of the past, you will wither. Ciao for now, and I'll see you tonight.